Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church, Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. We're, our speaker who's going to continue our series is a good friend. Please join me in welcoming up Ben Allen. Check, check. Oh, that works. Hey, guys. Good to see you. Hello to those of you who are watching online. The last several times I've preached, I say, hey, my name is Ben Allen, and my lovely wife Olivia and I and our sons, we've been coming here for, uh, I guess, now five and a half years. We just talked about it. Um, but now I have to get used to saying something different. Now I'll say, Olivia and I are the co-senior pastors of Lewis Center Vineyard Church. Uh, woohoo! Uh, yeah, that's super cool. It's super weird, uh, but it's exciting. We just went through all the paperwork process with Vineyard USA and Multiply Vineyard, and we just begun meeting as a small group. And uh, we think we're going to formally launch Sunday morning services in April. So we're still kind of vetting that out. But uh, I got to admit, everything I just said sounds really weird coming out of my mouth. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm just really excited, and Olivia is too. We're excited to be a part of what God is doing. And uh, if you feel any interest in being a part of it, let us know. I mean, we're a church plant from VCDC. This church is sending us out. We're going to be in partnership with VCDC forever. Um, and uh, so we have some interest meetings coming up in, in, uh, in November. Feel free to join us at those. Uh, but we're just really excited for what God is doing. But let me just say I'm super honored to be here. We love this church. We love you. And I'm honored to be bringing the, the message this weekend. And before I get started, let me just say, didn't Sandy do an awesome job last weekend? She did awesome. I mean, what, what great, a great uh, pr- presentation of the truths of Ecclesiastes 7. What a great, what great Sandyisms, as she called them. Uh, what a great tribute to her late husband. I mean, that was, that was just excellent. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I've been kind of reflecting on that sermon all week, kind of on and off. Uh, and unfortunately, over the last two weeks, I've had the, uh, the position of, of being at not only one, but two funerals or visitations. Um, and so I've had, to, I've had to really remind myself of Ecclesiastes 7-2 that it's better to be at a funeral than a party. Um, I've been really impacted by what people have said at those funerals. I've been much more reflective of, of Ecclesiastes, much more responsive uh, to what Ecclesiastes teaches us about how fleeting life really is. And I've kind of wondered what people would say at my funeral. Anybody wonder that? Uh, I mean, I can quickly think of a thousand things that I would say about Olivia, because she's super lovely and I'm super lucky. Uh, a thousand, here's a thousand and one. This was on my notebook. I love you. You're going to do great. I'm praying. This is from Olivia. Thank you, dear. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm super lucky and I, I kind of wondered what would people say. And, and I've been really enjoying this sermon series because I, like many of you, have kind of been forced to think about some of this stuff. I've, I've been forced to face some of the frank statements that are made in these scriptures. And I've often kind of felt like the whole book of Ecclesiastes just reads, life stinks and then you die. (laughs) And if I'm honest with you, I've hardly tried to read Ecclesiastes for anything but that. I just say, oh, yep, that's wisdom, and then move on. So how ironic it is that I have the privilege 
of preaching on Ecclesiastes 9, the first part of it, which I think is where it came from. I think after Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 12 came out, they made the shirt. Uh, I think it's where life sinks and then you die came from. I think it's very easy to misinterpret. So I've called today's talk, it's all about context. See, in order for, for us to understand what the scriptures are telling us, it's going to take some context to avoid hearing hopelessness, to avoid hearing something cliche, to avoid misunderstanding. We're going to need to look at the words of today's excerpt of Ecclesiastes in context. And we're going to have to look at our lives and our eternities in the context of what Ecclesiastes is telling us. I'll explain more about that in a minute, but let's just, let's pray, let's read through the text, and then let's see what the Lord would say to us. So Lord Jesus, I just, uh, I just thank you for the privilege to bring your word to your people. Uh, I'm learning more and more what a responsibility it is to do that and do it with authority. And so I just pray that you would have me, only what, have me say only what you once said. I pray you keep me from saying anything uh, that's hurtful or careless. I pray that you would use me and guide me as we navigate through some of these scriptures that are very easy to misinterpret. Please work through me and if necessary, in spite of me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's start by reading Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 12 together. Often when I preach, I have us read these giant chunks of scripture, uh, but that hasn't backfired on me yet. Uh, I think the reason is that it's healthy to hear the word of the Lord together uh, because the word of God is alive and powerful, Hebrews four twelve, It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So let's look at the scriptures together. You can read along in your Bible or on your phone or just read along on the screens. But buckle up. It's a lot of verses. Here we go. 1 through 12. So I reflected on this, on all this, and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil. And there's madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, Do it with all your might, for in the realm of the dead where you're going, there's neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. All right, who felt cheered up after that one? Man, it just makes you want to do this number. Let's take a breath. I mean, I feel like I hear bad news and then more bad news. I hear some echoes of that, like, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die 
It comes from uh, Ecclesiastes 8 and Isaiah 22. It's echoed throughout literature. But I'm not sure what to think. So we have to be very, very careful. We have to avoid what I'm going to call the easy misinterpretation of this text. And so how do we do that? Well, we have to look at the truth in context. And what do I mean by context? Merriam-Webster defines context as the words that are used with a certain word or phrase and that help to explain its meaning, or the situation in which something happens, the group of conditions that exist when and where something happens. So we have to look at our text today in context. I'm not saying that we get to, to kind of explain away our scriptures or say that they're not true. The text we read is entirely true. Our scriptures are the infallible word of God. But, but, context Context is what prevents us from accidentally overemphasizing or underemphasizing or missing what the scriptures are telling us. Now, in theological and academic circles, they call that hermeneutics, the concept of applying context to scriptures. But in our daily lives, I think it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who connects the dots for us, who makes the Bible make sense. For those of you who may follow Jesus, maybe the Bible made no sense and you made a decision to follow Jesus, and all of a sudden the words started jumping off the page. That's the Holy Spirit who brings that context. And so it's been my prayer that the Holy Spirit would bring context today, would would guide my talk and bring context to these verses to keep us from easily misinterpreting what we're reading. So let's look at what I would call the top two easy misinterpretations that we can make when we read this passage if we don't apply the truth in context. Easy misinterpretation number one, no one is at the wheel. Life is all chance. Easy misinterpretation number two, everybody dies anyway, so nothing we do really matters. So let's start with easy misinterpretation number one. No one's at the wheel. Life is all chance. It's so easy to be enticed by this misinterpretation. Life sure can seem like chance. I mean, haven't we all seen verse 11 to kind of be true all around us? Let's look at verse 11. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Anybody get a chance to watch the Summer Olympics a few months ago? Anybody? I get excited every time, and then I either don't make the time, or I never get to see what I want. This, this year was swimming, every time. Swimming. Oh, I can't wait to see something. Swimming. Swimming. If you love swimming, it's great. But for me, I really wanted to see other stuff. I liked the track and field stuff. And there were a couple times I actually got to see the track and field stuff. And I don't want to call out any particular athlete or any particular mistake that was made. But my heart sank on a couple of occasions. Because on a couple of occasions, these are the best athletes in the world. They're representing their country. And they trip. They slip. They fall. You get one shot in the Olympics. They, they don't do do-overs. And, and so you could be the very best. Doesn't matter. You tripped. Or how about this? How about you've been training your whole life. You're representing your country. the best in the world. Someone trips you. That happened too. I mean, what are the chances? Talk about the race not going to the swift. What are the chances? It just seems random. Or how about this example? I recently had a conversation with a couple of musicians in our worship community. We, went, we were talking about the, the Broadway strip in Nashville. Do we have that picture? Yeah, so this is the Broadway strip. And we, we talked about how it's such a unique experience. Maybe you've been there. What you'll see, and you can kind of see it in the picture there, is bar after bar after bar after bar. Literally right next to one another. And all of them have live music, but not just any live music, like really good live music, like really good bands, really talented musicians, arguably with more talented singers and songwriters and musicians than the people who made it big. I mean, how random? What are the chances? Why is it that these folks are playing in bars, but they're better than the people that are playing arenas? 
Or since maybe not too many of us can relate to being Olympians or professional musicians, how about this one? We can, I bet we can all relate to this one. If you make $10,000 a year in the U.S., you're richer than almost 80% of the people of the world. If you make $20,000, you are richer than 90%. If you make $30,000, you are richer than 95% of the people in the world. And I could keep going, but you get, you get the picture. So, so working at Chipotle down the road for 11 bucks an hour, which was what my oldest son did over the summer. He brought home a lot of burritos. I ate a lot of burritos. If he did that full time, that would, he would have made 22880 bucks a year. And that would put him at being richer than 92.3% of the people in the world. Or just roughly 7 billion people out of a population of roughly 7.9. Now that's not meant to be some sort of political statement. That's just designed to get us thinking. I mean, what are the chances? What are the chances that you would be born at this time in this country with all the money and the resources that we have? What are the chances? Don't things seem kind of random sometimes? Or even worse, just plain unfair? Sometimes to our benefit, sometimes not. What are we to make of this? I mean, if the easy misinterpretation is that there's no one at the wheel, what's the truth in context? Here's the truth in context. God is God over chance. God is God over everything. Everything is in his hands. So let me start with the punchline and then we'll, we'll work backwards. God is God over every event, over every good and bad thing, over, over every happy and sad thing. The providence of God and what theologian and pastor John Piper calls God's wise and purposeful sovereignty, meaning what God allows to happen, those things are God's prerogative alone. Now, because the scriptures are super clear that his ways are so high above our ways, his thoughts are so high above, so far beyond We can't expect to understand his sovereignty. We can't expect to understand that. But we can take comfort in the fact that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. We can take comfort in the fact that Jesus is before all things and in him, all things hold together. We can take comfort in the fact that dominion is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. See, God is in control. Nothing escapes his wise and purposeful sovereignty. And God is good. See, God is God over chance. God was God over chance when people were seeking his will. In fact, in the Old Testament, chance played a big part in determining the will of God. God allowed the Israelites to cast lots in order to determine his will in lots of scenarios. Literally, something akin to drawing straws or flipping a coin. We see the method of casting lots used to allocate land, uh, to allocate inheritance in the book of Numbers. And it was God who told Moses to do that. The Lord said, flip a coin or draw straws. That was his direction. We see casting lots used to determine offices that people would hold in the temple. That's in 1 Chronicles. So God is God over chance when people are seeking his will. God was God over chance when people weren't seeking his will. You may remember Jonah in the Bible. He's the one who was swallowed by the big fish and was spit out up on the shore. But why was he in the water in the first place? Well, he he was running from what God had told him to do. He was running away from where he was supposed to go. And he was taking a boat somewhere, somewhere else instead of where God had told him to go. So how did he get in the water to be swallowed by a fish? Let's take a look. In Jonah 1, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. 
they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So then they threw him overboard. The rest of the story. See, God has got over everything, including chance. Now, I don't recommend we start flipping coins or drawing straws when we have questions of the Lord. In fact, we don't see using chance to inquire of the Lord uh, after the 11 remaining disciples decided who would replace Judas, the disciple who uh, betrayed and abandoned God, specifically Jesus. So, so that's the last time we see it. That happened in Acts 1. But what happened in Acts 2? In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. So now there's new context. There's, there's no mention of casting lots to determine God's will from that point on in the scriptures. You don't see it again. Now, if you've decided to follow Jesus and you've given him control of your life, his Holy Spirit has taken residence in you. You don't need to roll dice or cast lots. You don't need to flip a coin. As you learn to recognize and listen to God's voice, you will get answers. If we'll listen, he'll speak to us. Sometimes he'll speak to us through the Bible, sometimes through others. Sometimes he'll speak directly to you. So God is at the wheel. He's sovereign over all. He's so very at the wheel that Jesus said, every hair on our head is numbered. And and that is even kind of contextual in history. I think if he said it today, he'd say every atom, every electron that spins around, every atom that makes up every hair on your head is numbered. So even though God is at the wheel, he's sovereign over all, there's still a common destiny that awaits us all, according to Ecclesiastes, which is death. And with a very rare exception, which includes Jesus, every human being in human history that isn't alive now on earth isn't here because they did die. Let's read verse 1 through 3 again. I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. So everybody dies. That's the common destiny. And it's not just the sinful, but the good. It's not just the wicked, it's the righteous. It's everyone. So does it matter to be good? Does it matter to be righteous? And that brings us to our second easy misinterpretation of our text today. And that's this. Everybody dies anyway, so nothing we do really matters. And as we read on the next few verses, it kind of might seem like that. Let's read on verses five and six. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Let's do a quick exercise. Let's look at the richest person in the world as of 2020. Anybody know who that is? Yeah, Elon Musk, that's right. I think it might have been Bezos, but then he went through a divorce and his net worth changed. Uh, Extra church points for who's the girl on his arm? Popstar Grimes, all right, good job. Except I think they just split up as well. So sorry to bring up bad news. So that's the richest person of 2020. Let's do the richest person of 1820. Anybody? Nope. But I love the confidence. Anybody? Well, you guessed it. That's shipping magnate Stephen Gerard. I don't know. We don't know this guy. We just emphasize the point the text is making. As verse 5 said, even their name is forgotten. This was the richest man in the world. He funded the War of 1812. Doesn't matter. So how do we apply context to what we're reading here? I mean, if there's no context to apply, it doesn't seem like the verses... To me, it just seems like the verses would read like this. Now, this is not in your Bible. This is a horrible paraphrase, and it's not the truth. But here's what it 
kind of feels like. We're all going to die anyway. You don't really know if good things or bad things are going to happen to you before you die. And you don't really know what it's going to be like when you die anyway, except that you won't be around here. You won't even be remembered very long. So why live in a way that pleases God? The heck with it. So, so why is it that our scriptures are not saying that? How is it that our scriptures are not saying that? Well, because there's truth in context that we have to apply. See, if the easy misinterpretation is everybody dies anyway, so nothing we do really matters. If we look at the truth in context, it's that everybody dies anyway, so what we do infinitely matters. See, notice our passage, even as we read on. Once we go on to verse 7, the scripture takes a twist. It's an unexpected twist. Let's start with verse 7. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white. Always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife. This is your lot in life and your toilsome labor. Whatever your hand finds you to do, do it with all your might. That doesn't sound like the heck with it. For in the realm of the dead where you're going, there's neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. That's the opposite of the heck with it. That's saying enjoy your food. Enjoy a cold root beer on a hot summer day. Enjoy your family. When it's time to work, work hard. Appreciate life while you have it. God's given you your life as a gift. And there's great enjoyment in working and planning and knowledge and wisdom. Do what God has for you to do. Enjoy the gifts of family, friends, resources. Good things have happened. Bad things have happened. Good things will happen. Bad things will happen. And you don't know what's going to happen to you or when, but God is sovereign over all of them. There isn't a trace of the heck with it in this text. The scriptures are reminding us that the perspective here is under the sun. We're talking about this earthly life. And in this earthly life, under the sun, there's an ending. A common ending to this earthly life, which is earthly death. So, since my sermon's all about the context, let's consider something here. In the context of history, while these words that we've read are true, they speak only to life under the sun. They speak only to this earthly life. See, because where we sit in the context of history, we get to see that this life matters more than we know. Here's what I mean by that. When these words were written, and they're still true now, just as they were then, there was context that was not yet available. Death was an unbeatable foe. Life was a vapor, a blip. Here today, gone tomorrow, forgotten the next. And as a reader of these scriptures, somewhere between 2,500 and 3,000 years ago, when they were written, we would probably view a person's existence like this. Let's see it. That's it. A dot. A wisp, a vapor. The, this earthly life still is that. And then after this earthly life, there were just questions. Do we sleep? If we sleep, do we ever wake up? Do we just cease to exist? These are questions people encounter now. These are the questions you think about at a funeral now, today. But see, a few hundred years after these scriptures were written, something changed. Everything changed. Jesus came to earth to redeem it, to rescue us from the mess that we made for ourselves, to restore us to right relationship with God, then, now, and forever. See, Jesus brought new context onto the scene. He showed us that our existence is much better represented like this than a dot. That's our existence. Now, it's still a dot. We still have the blip and the vapor that's our earthly existence, but we're the yellow line as well. Jesus taught us we're eternal. And that's not even a good diagram. That diagram looks like we live to be, I don't know, three or 4,000 years, if the dot's maybe 100 years. A true diagram would have that line going out the building and off the planet. 
It's eternity. See, Jesus being both fully God and fully man, he broke into the timeline of human history to redeem it. And although sinless, Jesus did meet the common destiny that awaits us all. He did die. And for three days, as we read in our text, he was gone from under the sun. But three days later, he rose from the dead. He was back, back in the earthly realm in bodily form. Everything he said was true. Everything he says is true. He's everything he says he is. Jesus said in Revelation 1, 17 and 18, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus said he's preparing a a place for us to be with him when we die. He said in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that weren't so, would I have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so you can be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Then later Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. See, Jesus brought new context. He taught us a lot about what eternity is like. He taught us that we are eternal, that after this life is eternity, your eternity, my eternity, And we won't be sleeping. No one will be sleeping. See, Jesus told us about heaven, about eternity with him, about our having a new body, a new name, about relationships in heaven, about what heaven will look like, about a new heaven, about a new earth. He gave us more context than we could even know how to process. He gave us more insight than our imaginations could even hold. But more than he talked about heaven, he talked about hell. He talked about hell more than anybody in the scriptures. And it wasn't a metaphor or a figure of speech when he taught about it then and it isn't now. Listen to what Jesus taught about hell. This is summarized in an article excerpt. We can summarize it like this. Hell is the place of conscious, eternal torment where people experience God's punishment for their sin. Yes, hell is the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, but also for those who join him in their rebellion against God. The horror of hell is such that Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. For those who who do not enter the narrow door of faith and repentance in Jesus, a place of weeping and gnashing teeth awaits them. That is a pretty sobering summary. Now, even more sobering, is that every verse that that summary is referencing comes from direct quotes of Jesus. It's not theory. Jesus said this stuff. So what do we do? What do we do with this? Let me call the worship team up and I'll bring this, this message home. See, everything we do in this life infinitely matters because infinity, eternity, is what's on the line. It's hard to comprehend to me, I'm sure it is to you as well, that the only difference between a person who spends an eternity of joy with a loving God and a person who spends an eternity of suffering and separation from a loving God is simply whether that person accepted a free gift that's already being offered to him or her. But it really is that simple and the work really already has been done. So where does that put us? Where does that put us? Well, if you're here today or you're watching online, and you haven't simply accepted that free gift of salvation that Jesus offered you, let me give you some good news. It's this easy. All you have to do is believe in him, 
believe that Jesus died to pay pay for your sins and he rose again, and then you put your trust in him. You give him control of your life. And if you feel God tugging on your heart to make that decision to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to make that decision, to do it. In the room here in just a little while, we're going to pray for one another. And I would ask you to pray with someone. Ask someone to say a prayer with you as you surrender your life to Jesus. Or if you're watching online, I still encourage you to to say that prayer of surrender to him. Now, in either case, please reach out. Reach out to this church. Let us know that you made that decision because we want to come alongside you and support you in that. Now, for the rest of us, for those of us who have already accepted the gift of salvation, what does that mean for us? Well, it kind of puts us in a race. It kind of puts us in a hurry. See, we've been recruited by Jesus himself to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching people to obey everything that Jesus commanded us. And he's going to use us to do that. He's going to use us to literally snatch others from the fire, as it says in Jude 1. So so that's one of the main reasons Olivia and I are starting a church, because we feel God called us to do that. He's calling you to do things too. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be starting a ministry or a church. See, your calling, your mission field is doing what the Holy Spirit directs you to do right where you are. That's your calling. And that could mean praying for someone at a grocery store. That could mean coming alongside a coworker who's maybe been hostile to the faith, but they're in desperation and now they're uniquely soft to the message of Jesus. Maybe for years they weren't, but at this moment they are. And sharing the good news of Jesus with them. It could mean showing grace and love to people who bitterly hate, hate you, speak unkindly to you, treat, treat you badly. But whatever it is, whatever that thing is, it's now. And this brief life, this wisp, this vapor of life is all the time anybody has to hear and respond to this message. It's all the time we have to share that message to the people that God has put into our lives. So let's go into a time of worship. Let's just reflect and respond on the things that God's put on our hearts today. We'll sing a few songs together and then I'll come back up and we'll go into a time of ministering to one another and responding to God's leading. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.